So you're going to use some uh, documentary audio from your favorite werewolf and vampire uh, documentary again for the cold open for this one, right? Yeah, that's how we're going to link them together. Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. <laughs> it's like diamonds. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is the skin of a killer, Bill. <laughs> okay. This week we're talking about my absolute favorite thing Love in it. the whole world. Um, Good. Which is Twilight. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my history <laughs> podcast where we talk about Twilight. I mean, it came out in what, like 2004, 2005? That's the history book, now. The book was, I know, so I was just making this argument. Yeah, yeah. Because I was reading a book where I had quite a few articles in it that were yeah. specifically about Twilight, and I was showing them to my husband, and he was like, that's not history. And I was like, except for that it is, because the book came out in 2005, and the movie in 2008, that was 20 years ago, which means that all of the fashion mm-hmm. from the movie and like described in the book her beautiful floor length khaki skirt <laughs> is now vintage so the youths the real youths out there are going out and buying the clothes that i wore in high school to be like yeah vintage twilight Except ha- Twilight have you seen people wearing floor-length khaki skirts? Is that a well, thing that happens no, now? No, so that's just... The, so the fashion in the book is, like, just objectively terrible. It's just At one point in time, Edward is wearing a sleeveless white button-down yep. with a collar. Love it. Under a beige sweater yep. with, I think it's khaki pants, and then he has a light tan leather jacket. And my brain... How do we know that the shirt is sleeveless if there's two layers over top of it? Because he takes all of those layers off at one point in time. So, like, he's wearing... This is his hiking outfit. Good. Love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he, like, he takes his sweater off, and there's no sleeves on it. And that's when he, like, steps out into the sun and is sparkling and is like, this is the skin of a color. So instead of a gray peacoat, he's supposed to be wearing, like, 15 layers of beige over a sleeveless white button-down. And then, like, a pale blue leather jacket over top of that. Like hiking no, it's tan. Tan? It's a pale oh, tan leather jacket. It's okay, well, that's at least a little bit better. Sure. And then a pale blue? Pale blue leather jacket would be worse. Well, I mean, it's all really bad. It's all terrible. It's all terrible. <laughs> God. Anyway, you yeah. love these books. So I love I love them. I also just in general love sad vampires. Yeah, yeah. Um so we're going to talk about the ideas that people have had about vampires and or vampiric like creatures cool. over time. So, Where are we starting? Well, so there's a couple of places to start. Mostly when people talk about vampire lore, they're saying, you know, that it's especially associated with Eastern Europe. Yeah. Um, and that people in Eastern Europe used a vampire-like creature to explain the spread of disease or sudden death in a town. Yeah. And there is this unique burial ritual in which people from a town would exhume and then destroy bodies mm-hmm. of people that they told outsiders they suspected of being able to like rise from the dead. Right. But 
someone who is cited in a book I read, Montague Summers. I don't know who that is. Traces the origin, uh, the origin of vampire-like creatures in sort of European lore more generally to uh, ancient Greek literature yeah, where yeah. dead heroes are energized by drinking blood for power, mm -hmm. um, but they're not really like corporeal beings or there's like questions about how corporeal these guys are. Um, there's a lot of stuff in Asia that is kind of similar to mm -hmm. vampiric ideas. The hopping vampires? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the general general um, ideas about ghosts and witchcraft, where you have like various types of like soul stealing. So like taking the essence of a person through very like taking various parts of their bodies is pretty common in China, especially. But for the most part, sort of across the world now, Dracula is ha what we use to like measure modern and even our previous ideas of vampire against, right? It's right. like held up as like, this is the quintessential vampire. And as we've sort of already laid out, this idea of what a vampire is, is constantly changing and subject to like where this idea is being talked about. Like any of these sort of yeah, folklore characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of actual vampire, using the term vampire, yep. um, the etymology of that word is super confused and mm -hmm. possibly not from Eastern Europe at all. So the first instance of the word vampire with any spelling being written down is in 1732 in English. It's written in an English document to explain reports um, coming from government officials in Eastern Europe. Okay. So they're not using the term vampire in Eastern Europe, or maybe they're using a similar thing, but what we have written down is 1732 Eastern Europe. And this is really the period when Western Europeans become super obsessed with vampires. So the 17th to 18th century is like, there's suspicion of, a, of vampire epidemics raging across Eastern Europe. And all Love of these it. dudes get super into vampires. Um, and it's sort of like this weird time of contradiction because it's the period where we're birthing the age of reason and so the same people who are what are you looking at? I'm looking at the etymology of vampire because I'm a dork for this stuff <laughs> and so it is Slavic there are older words but we don't know where it comes from In we don't know which Slavic language it's from it comes to English from German yeah and from Slavic to German, we don't know which Slavic language, probably South Slavic, like yeah. Serbian or Croatian. And, but then then nobody knows. Yeah. So one idea is it is from a, a Turkic word for witch, <laughs> ubir, uh, or perhaps from a uh, old Slavic term for somebody who can fly, a flyer. Um, or maybe from... Uh, not burned. Oh, that would be cool too. Yeah. I'm just looking this up. No, no keep, keep going. So going. There's this is like, cool. Yeah, because there's like a bunch of bunch of different ideas of what these creatures are. Yeah, and there's different ideas about what they were doing. So right, we have these people, the same people, especially in Western Europe, right? The same like aristocratic, well-educated, fancy men mm -hmm. who are getting obsessed with the idea of 
scientific explanation for the world mm-hmm. and creating the scientific method and yeah. being quote unquote reasonable and all of these things and at the same time they're all like in a tizzy about vampires about yeah. people being mystically reborn yeah. as a monster creature yeah when you hear people talk about enlightenment ideals <laughs> being obsessed with vampires is one of them so yeah. is eating little bits of human bodies for yeah. medicine so is burning witches yeah yeah so like yeah yeah it gets uh it's a really weird time and yeah they're just bonkers and like the the visual idea of what a vampire is is a like sort of quasi distended bloaty dead you know been dead for a while person who Mm -hmm. comes and uh, like stalks their loved ones or causes general mischief um so there's one report of a woman who comes back from the dead and then tries to sex her husband till he dies right yeah 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 Um, And there's a few other things. So the most famous people who are suspected of being vampires at this time that really feeds into the mania that's happening, especially in, like, France, Germany, England area, are two Serbians. And I'm going to pronounce these wrong, so forgive me, all of Serbia. Um, Peter Plagojewicz from Kisilova and Arnold Paole. Paoli? Paoli? I don't know. From Medvegia. Um, and they were t- two recently dude dead dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude deads. Yeah, um, dude deads. Who were uh, dug up, found to be in, quote, a state of preservation. Yeah. And so were... Dead dudes st- dug up with all their doodads. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were staked, beheaded, and then burned to ash. Love it. So that there's no possibility of them coming back. Mm-hmm. And this was witnessed by like western european officials seeing this as like outsiders and this is sort of how like the idea of the vampire epidemic sort of ends up everywhere it's kind of an early media event as a result of power changing hands in eastern europe wars and stuff um so there's a lot of like university early university educated western europeans um who are governing new provinces in Eastern Europe and observing Mm -hmm. people with different cultural practices and writing about it, and it ends up in newspapers and stuff in the West. And they're using that for various reasons, applying all sorts of different, like, ideas and morals to these things but it's it becomes like this deep anxiety about the place of the aristocracy and whether or not it's because in the very early part of this it is peasants coming back and like destroying a village right right so it's these worries about but then uh, that transforms from yeah so this is we start seeing the vampire show up in written literature um, one of the first instances is Goethe in The Bride of Corinth and then um, in the poem Christabel. Yeah. And then as we move into the 19th century, early, early 19th century, we have Polyodori's The Vampire, which is um, the f- one of the first times that the actual term shows up in fiction right. written specifically for reading. Yeah. Right? Um, and Polyodori was 
buds with Byron, and the vampire actually comes from the same, like, weird writing contest that they had in Switzerland that one summer that Frankenstein comes yeah, from. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and it yeah. was falsely attributed to Byron, and then none of the publishers wanted to fix that, and Polidori, mm-hmm. like, lost his mind, and did he jump off a bridge? I don't know. It was something like that. Whatever. They all died weird ways. He, like, got really upset Ooh, about it because he was just a doctor with like who wanted to be, like... Famous. Famous for Poetry. gothic literature, but wasn't. Anyway, he writes The Vampire um, and sort of kicks off the uh, that and Frankenstein and a few other things, parts of Byron's poetry really kicks off this like 19th century gothic literature movement. Mm-hmm. And one of the scholars that I w- was reading described gothic literature and horror more generally as being an inherently parasitic genre so it feeds on itself and just takes things and like rehashes them or looks at them in new ways Mm -hmm. um and so what we see over the course of the 19th century is a the beginning of this shift from bloated gross dead bodies to that is like an anxiety specifically about the aristocracy to more of the anxieties about um (laughs) <laughs> the anxieties of like the 19th century which are more about class and sex okay, but I, I don't really follow this because how how is this 18th century thing about the aristocracy because it's the peasants going and finding these bodies are they usually it's, aristocratic no, no so no. it's peasants coming back and at destabilizing towns and stuff and then the the um the stories that are told, so like what you start seeing being written down, I get I didn't explain this. So yeah, the yeah. stories that you see being written down are these very sort of um, black and white tales about good and evil, where right. ultimately good triumphs, but it would be um, someone who is like causing problems mm-hmm. dies, mm-hmm. comes back. And then the aristocrat, like, is the supposedly the good person, mm-hmm. but right, the, the town may be influenced by the powers of the vampire, um, and the aristocrat has to, for the sake of saving the status quo and all of the good things yeah, that yeah, come yeah. with it has to kill the vampire and oftentimes ends up dying in the ordeal themselves and then somebody else like you know it's this so whole this thing is a about different kind of class anxiety that you yes. see in the 19th century where you know dracula is still a count right so yes. it's still about the aristocracy in some mm-hmm. way yeah okay but explain that but it but uh, but it's more um so dracula comes about at the end of the 19th century yeah. and is very much about like victorian ideas about sex um the place of like what industrialization has done mm-hmm. to concepts of class. So like Dracula is a count, but he's that's one of the ways that he's portrayed as being like quasi monstrous, right? right? He's holed up in this castle in this country that is totally perceived as being backward. Yeah. And then everyone else in the book that you directly interact with are in the scheme of great britain middle class right? right they are merchants lawyers um american oil tycoons right 
people who have benefited from this yeah so there are people who are who on some level work for the money that they are spending and then the two women who are trying to find a place in this space and then which gives us the sexual anxieties yes yeah so there's the petty bourgeoisie yes yeah so yeah and then so dracula is um 1890s sets the tone for what the vampire is going to be of the 20th century it it establishes that and then the 20th century sort of takes this idea and gradually humanizes the vampire and sort of reverses this horror of dracula right so and just to like hark down on dracula a little bit more many of the ideas that we have that are associated with dracula have from nothing. the book they're from hollywood yes yeah, yeah have nothing to do with the the book they're from the adaptations um and so another scholar is called uh dracula a creation that transcends the work in which it was presented yeah so right it's from nosferatu that we get the idea of vampires not being able to go out in the sun which given the cinematic technology at the time is very hard to read in yeah. a film yeah, if you're yeah, a modern yeah, viewer yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but in 19, yeah. 1931 film Dracula mm-hmm. um, is where we get the vampire wearing the formal cape mm-hmm. which is a like the high collared mm-hmm. fancy cape with the tuxedo which actually comes from a stage play production of Dracula where they used the cape to hide Dracula disappearing through a trap door. Right. And then they just carried out, they used the same exact outfit in the movie. And then the like weird hair with the widow's peak, which was a bizarre hairpiece used to cover the fact that Bela Lugosi was going bald. Right. <laughs> and then as you get to the end of the 20th century right we get the fully humanized vampire it's fully realized in Anne Rice's Louis de Point yeah. de Lac from Interview with a Vampire yeah. <laughs> yeah, where yeah. he is like the sad tortured reluctant vampire played by Brad Pitt yeah <laughs> and in this story is where we really get um the uh, dynamics of human vampire relationships that go into the 21st century where you have the human who is really attracted to the idea of the life of the vampire while the vampire is sort of repulsed by the lack of morality within that life yeah and right that then like sort of culminates with twilight so if we go back and sort of look over what we've got right so we have the gothic which um According to the person who I'm going to look up and put in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> um, the gothic gothic literature forces us to ask how human are we? And the fear was generated from the response more other than you think. Yeah. Until you get to Rice's reluctant vampire and then to Meyer's pure beacon of self-restraint and family values <laughs> in the vampire. And so like we can see sort of how the vampire <laughs> this is my favorite phrase from one of the articles that I read <laughs> while the vampire has no reflection they're a reflection of ourselves Ooh, somebody was very proud of that <laughs> <laughs> um, so just uh, one more sort of quote that sort of gets into more of like what I was explaining with how people worry about mm-hmm 
or or express worry sort of collective worries through vampires in particular yeah so quote monsters have to be everything the human is not and in producing the negative of human these novels make way for the invention of the human as white male middle class and heterosexual that's what you really, really see with Stoker. Mm-hmm. The single locus of humanity meant that in the past, vampires provided a challenge to human superiority. That challenge would be successfully defeated, and through defeat, human superiority would be reinforced, yet simultaneously depleted by requiring defense. Good always triumphed because it was expected that good would always be recognized. But in this post-class, post-feminist, post-modern, globalized, trans, and post-national world, the black and white binary of good human and bad vampires diffused obscures and problematized i don't think i think that's like pretty aggressively pointing to this shift i think that the stories of the past are also super complicated yeah when you get into it yeah um but they're complicated in ways that take a lot of um reading historically and not through a media studies lens yeah a lot of historicize what people are really thinking, what the the experience behind understanding what a vampire is, where it can come from, why it can just be like any person. Um, also, like if we're looking at these are periods where, especially in the 17th century and before, there's very different conceptions of the body and the time at which you die and the understanding of when your body and soul, like become two separate things Mm -hmm. so the idea that your body can come back have a lot of implications for especially in catholicism uh whether or not like salvation yeah yeah Yeah, so like there is it is like really complicated but i do like this idea of like the by creating what the monster is not and especially Mm. locating it Mm. in not western europe in not this because especially by stoker's time we have Mm -hmm. an idea of what white is by making them out of place out of time and in a different class you can really create what well what are you supposed to be like what is the default human and the default human is a uh straight white man yeah yeah, it's Jonathan with money. Harker. Jonathan Harker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's Dracula and his cult of demonic women. Yeah. That's, um, but and so me. and then that brings me to sort of my last point, which is that like the sexualized female has traditionally been at the part of the vampire story. Like I said, there was one of the early early vampire stories was about a woman who comes back from the dead, and then has sex with her husband until sure. he dies, yeah. tricks him into having. I don't know. She's sort of like an incubus type story um all of the brides of dracula there's a bunch of stuff and then of course we have uh right bella and also like buffy summers yeah where there's i think a lot of people now in contemporary conversations about them put them as sort of opposites of like oh the strong female character and then bella but they are both victims of patriarchal ideas of sexuality and their sexualities are both supernaturally policed Mm-hmm. Um, I find the whole angel storyline even more than the weird spike thing that yeah, happens yeah. to be super problematic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The happiest, I agree. The happiest moment, the ab- 
pure happiness mm. is coming inside Buffy Summers. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. according to this. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's vampires. Um, I love them. Yeah. Everyone should go watch Twilight and... It's a documentary. <laughs> and then... And you and maybe watched Jonah it a couple weeks ago. Go watch Twilight. And then um, <laughs> if you do watch Twilight, also maybe donate some money to the Move to Higher Ground mission um, of the Quileute tribe. Uh, so that they can get out of the space that they're on, their school and community center is on, because yeah. it's about to be permanently flooded by global climate change. Yay! <laughs> oh, I'm sad. And now. maybe while you're on their page, uh, read a little bit about how they're not werewolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Baba Yaga break time was brought to you by Patreon supporters just like you. Follow us at Baba Yaga Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.